it's it's basically living healthily um doing as well as one thinks one can and you you're never you're never perfect you're never going to achieve what you want to achieve if you like i like to have a day when i've said well at least i did something hello everyone welcome to the reflections on living well podcast where we explore perspectives on a good life in the 21st century. I am your host, Broderick Rodell. I hope you enjoy this conversation. Hello, everyone. Uh, welcome back to the podcast. Today, our guest is Gordon Irving. Gordon is a retired medical doctor who worked in pain medicine for decades at one point, he served as the president of the South African Pain Society. He later took over the pain clinic of the Swedish Medical Center in Seattle, Washington, where he supervised an interdisciplinary team of providers, including physicians, psychologists, as well as physical and occupational therapists. Gordon is currently involved with volunteering with the End of Life or Death with Dignity program in Washington State. Gordon feels that one can still have control over one's death as well as over one's life if circumstances allow. Hi, Gordon. Welcome. Thank you. Hi, Broderick. Well, this is exciting to have this conversation with you. Uh, I've had an earlier conversation with your lovely wife, uh, Louise, who is such a wonderful person. I agree with that. Uh, I have to. <laughs> that's good. I have to. <laughs> You have a lot. You got. You got to. Um, you have to work cut out for you now. It's a lot to live up to after that conversation I had with Jeez. Louise. So. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to listening to it. <laughs> awesome. I'm actually looking forward to listening to it again as well. So, um, well, I'm excited to have this conversation with you uh, for various reasons. You've, <clears throat> excuse me, you've worked in medicine for quite a long time, and particularly five working decades. With five decades. Oh wow, as well. That's, yeah, 50 years, that's quite a, quite a bit of time there. And you've worked with people who've had challenging life situations with dealing with chronic pain. So I think there may be a lot of things that you've uh, gleaned from a life of experience as a medical doctor and just as a human being in general. Uh, but before we dig into all of that, can, I know I just gave that introduction. Is Can you describe yourself um, however way you like? Uh, how do you typically describe yourself? Or what more do you want to say about who you are? Probably, yeah, I think I've always had a, an optimistic idea of life and myself. I try not to glean enemies. I don't speak badly about people. I try to have integrity. I'm always looking for the door half open. So for opportunities, for travel, for adventure, for doing things. Uh, when I hit disappointments, as we all do, I look at it a little bit like a challenge and can I get over the problem or more likely can I work around it? When looking at chronic pain in America, pain is not a very remunerative 
option for a hospital in that um, we spend a lot of time talking to patients, talking about how to live life well despite whatever chronic pain they have. And talking to patients in this country, unfortunately, is, is not remunerative. So I had to you know, go under the, I call, under the carpet a little bit so that I wouldn't be noticed. And yes, they would pay for the psychologist or we could use a physical therapist, etc. And it's so those sort of problems. Um, and the person who runs a pain center now has a different persona, much more out there, etc. And he's doing great guns. And it's just a different way of, of doing things. But I think bottom line is I try not to upset people. Um, I try to have a positive attitude and so far and keep healthy. And so far it's worked living the life well. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I like how you brought in the living well there. And that's that's a driving force of, for who you are as a person. Can you, from the very beginning, uh, I like to ask that question. What is What does living well mean for you? And we'll unpack it as time goes. But, sure. Yeah. It, it's basically living healthily, um, doing as well as one thinks one can and you you're never you're never perfect you're never going to achieve what you want to achieve if you like i like to have a day when i've said well at least i did something it may be um and i usually say this that i would spend six hours doing something that somebody else would do in one hour but at least i got it done and now i know how to do it again if i had to do it again uh, it's the day is really yeah, exercise, uh, sit, meeting people, well, not necessarily meeting people, but uh, chatting um, and really just having a, a full day. And at the end of the day saying, yeah, it was a pretty good day. Yeah, could have been better, but could have been worse. Yeah, pretty good day. Time to, time to go to sleep. Nice, nice. I like how you um, talk about the, the the good life and you know reflecting on a day's journey and you know and overall being healthy and challenging yourself, being engaged with life, having relationships, conversations with others requires relating. Um, um, yeah, being able to reflect on your day and see if you had a, and, and, and reflect on if your day was a good day or not. Uh, those are. Those are all great. I'm, I'm curious, what does healthy mean to you? What does that mean? Can you draw that out a little bit more? Healthy is, to me, primarily a, well, it's, it's physical and mental. Uh, physically, that I can still go for a walk. You know, I used to do a lot of running, long distance running, and my hip gave up. <laughs> after a while so I know I know walk or I go on a bicycle um, and I think that's very important for brain functioning and feeling positive um, then there's the psychological part of it where you know, one has one's ups and downs with people especially people you are close to but 
being able to talk through that, be able to come to some sort of conclusion, uh, to be able to admit you're, you're wrong and just move on. Trying not to, I think you have negative energy which can build up. And if you allow it to build up, you just focus. And you can stay in that story. Oh, they said that to me. They didn't understand me. Yeah, I'm better than that. Oh, what do they think they are? Or you can say, okay, you know, I, I, you know, I messed up. Or maybe I didn't mess up, but they think I messed up. That's fine. Yeah, and let's just move on. So I think both the health issue and the dealing with stress and dealing with communications, they're all interwoven. It's part of the good life, having the healthy body, healthy mind side. And that's what I mean by healthy. Mm -hmm. well, that's great. And I think, um, you know, the importance of exercise and how you preface that in the beginning, I think sometimes we, we, we don't talk about that enough sometimes in our society, the importance of moving the body, keeping the body moving and how that is helpful to your nervous system in general. Um, and how that does influence your mood. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, getting that blood circulating throughout the system. You know, our bodies, I always stress that our bodies is a, uh, the body is a stress response mechanism. And if you don't stress it, then it's going to deteriorate. Um, and, and, and when you consider health, you, first things you mentioned is the movement part, keeping the, the, uh, the, instrument moving uh, yep. consistently and then you, you, another thing you you, you equated with psychological well-being that i really like is relationships you know how am i relating to others and what is the the quality of my my mind my emotional uh well-being or my emotional intelligence and and, and how i relate to to others uh, as a as a important part of uh psychological well-being yeah that's that's great can I ask you, so well, I want to unpack, where, where does this come from, these ideas, this perspective on, on health? Where, you know, can you tell a little bit about your history and how you come to see it this way? I've always been interested in uh, travel, in adventure, if you like, in challenges. When I qualified in medicine, I thought initially I wanted to do chronic pain management, but there was very little available at that stage. So I went into anesthesia and that allowed me to go to South Africa. And I was in South Africa for quite a period of time. Then I did some sailing and realized anesthetics and sailing, there's not a lot of <laughs> good, <laughs> people have little sores on their bum, which you're not gonna put people to sleep for, uh, doing anesthetics for. So I realized that, you know, that was, an additional thing I had to learn. Um, I also did emergency room for a, a short time. And then uh, again did sailing and ended up in South Africa, back in South Africa and, and started to do chronic pain, took over the chronic pain service. I realized very quickly that it's very easy for me being healthy and not in have pain and telling people who have pain, oh, yeah, just you've got to go exercise, you've got to sleep properly. And somebody explained it to me once that 
if you take a paper, well, not a paper clip, but a clothes peg, and you put it on your lip, and you squeeze hard, and then you keep it on there for 24 hours, seven days a week, that's how chronic pain begins mm. to infuse the mind. You just can't take your mind out of it. And so then it became, well, we know that chronic pain is primarily in the central nervous system. Whatever caused the injury in the first place, unless you have an inflammatory response like rheumatoid arthritis, you know, that, that hip that you had your surgery on, the surgeon said it's fine, but you still have pain in it. That back surgery you had, you still have pain in it, but the surgeon says, but there's nothing more to do, or usually, well, we can go a little bit higher, and maybe that will help to fuse, etc. Et and what became very obvious when I started doing chronic pain was the attitude of the person with chronic pain made a huge difference about how they, how they d did, how they coped with pain. And a lot of that was relationships, and a lot of that was exercise movement, as you talked about. Now, there's other things like sleep, nutrition, etc., which are very important. But until somebody starts taking control themselves, you know, pain is not passive. Pain is active to the patient, but they want a magic bullet. We can't give them a magic bullet. So how the heck do you live a life well when you've got a clothes peg on your lip and you can't talk? It's agony the whole time. Mm. You know, what, what structures can you do? And everybody has different ways of coping. We all have individual skills, etc. So dealing with the patients and trying to get them to change in some way also made me look at my life. You know, why was I getting upset at things? And a lot of the time it was because my id was getting the way. Hmm. I am important. Hmm. What do you mean I've got to take out the trash? Oh, I'm British as well. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, it's a wonderful accent. People think I'm really intelligent because I have this accent. Yeah. Oh, that was the, the one thing that I started off uh, working in the States in Houston. And people would come and, yeah, I was talking to them about how they've got to start moving and this. I said, Doc, I don't know what you just said, but, oh, say it again. Yeah, y'all. <laughs> you mean you didn't hear what I said? You heard how I said it, but not what it meant. So then you have to sort of, and then you say to the patient, what, what did I actually say? Don't know, Doc, but it was lovely. Say it again. <laughs> So, yeah, you just do motivational interviewing. So you learn about motivation interviewing. You learn about you know, yourself. It's, it's, it's great. You know, people in chronic pain have got a bad rap in medicine, if you like, because they're, or they're manipulators. They all want opioids or narcotics. You know, they just don't want to do anything. They just want to lie there and be miserable. And that's totally unfair, totally mm -hmm. untrue. Yeah, very well. Not totally. There's no in medicine. We say it's never 100 percent, never and ever. But 99 percent of people don't want their chronic pain. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I'm not saying 100 percent, but probably 100 percent don't want it. But some people get benefit out of having it, but very mm -hmm. few.
Mm-hmm. It was a long, long answer. No, that's great. I think you tapped onto some things that I think important from you know your many years of experience working with people. You, you know, you're, you know, you reflect on your own life and learn from that. And I think you said something that was um, really interesting to me and how you reflected on that. And you talked about this id, this sense of self, this ego, this character, um, this person that we created for ourselves, this identity. And we associate so much with that identity. And that identity becomes our, uh, for lack of a better word, it's the imprisoner. We become a prison to this identity and these things. Can you say a little bit more about that and how that showed up? How does that, how does that show up and how that can limit a person from living their best life when they're entangled in their identity? The that's that's a, a long question. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. We all have this so-called id. It may reside in something called the prefrontal cortex, which is where you may ask me to do something, like you asked me to do this interview, uh, and I initially said, "No, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to expose myself to these questions like id, which I may not know anything about." But I. I pontificate in my British accent. (laughs) And then you say, well, hang on a second, that's my initial prefrontal cortex stopping it. And it ruminates and it it repeats. And you say, let me just think about it. Let me do a bit of cogitating, whatever. And that, that allows it past. If you don't, if you have the id that stops this cogitation and, and, and thinking about it. We say, I am important. This is me. Um, don't, don't mess with me. I think politicians have that in abundance in sometimes. <laughs> uh, so you're going to get your way, whatever. The id, if you look at a small child, they don't have it. Everything goes through. Mm-hmm. And they can relate and they just say whatever. Oh, Grandpa, yeah. Why have you got hairs of your nose? <laughs> Fair enough. Because <laughs> I have hairs up my nose. Yeah. <laughs> yeah why, why don't you have hair on your head? Yeah, it was my hairs coming down from there. It's going down to my nose. It's fairly obvious. <laughs> but they, they say things and we don't say things because we're, we're scared of perhaps hurting people. It's not a bad thing. But at the same time, you restrict yourself. And I think allowing a dissolution of id at times in a safe area is, is good, where you can, whether it's by yoga, by meditation, by exercise. And I think for me, exercising, when I used to run, I used to run a lot, um, that was a time that really broke down, yeah. You, you can't you can't really concentrate too much on your you, you, you well, that's not quite true. I start off with a problem, and I used to say half an hour into the run, you know, I no longer have a problem, and I can't even remember what the problem was when I started. So it it, it dissolves things, mm-hmm. and it lets you your id. Uh, the first time I was in a marathon, a lady pa- and a lady passed me in the marathon. Uh, I don't know, it's my third or fourth marathon in South Africa. 
and this lady belted past me with about six miles to go. I thought, that's not right. I'm male. I shouldn't let a female beat me, for heaven's sakes. And so, of course, I tried to kill myself to catch up, couldn't. And, you know, she beat me and somebody, another lady went past me. And after that, you know, women went past me all the time. <laughs> they were just better than I was. It wasn't, that was my id that was stopping things. Mm -hmm. And so at times when I get really upset, uh, something's gone wrong, somebody said something about me, uh, I read something that relates to myself. Yeah, I say, well, is it is it id that's, that's occurring or what's, what's happening? Um, is my id getting in the way? And often it is. And then I say, okay, do I want to stay in that story? Do I want to remain you know, fed up and pissed off, or can I now go somewhere else and say, no, this is, this is affecting me. I'm not liking what I am. Let me just move on, or let me take some sort of action. So, for example, when I used to have meetings, I would um, have a meeting, then I would summarize what the meeting was, and what the next steps were. And I would send the email round to everybody uh, saying, this is what I think, this, this is my, this is, I may have mistaken it, but this is my understanding of what the meeting said. So that people could say, no, we didn't say that. No, you've got that wrong. I, we won't do it then. So everybody now continues on the meeting as opposed to just having a meeting, just stopping. And sometimes the meeting would be quite upsetting. Um, and I would have to go and I'd write an email and then I would, wouldn't send it. I would read it the next day and say, well, yeah, that's my id getting in the way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was upset because somebody didn't do what I'd asked them to do or somebody blasted me for doing something and maybe I didn't do that. Maybe I was, I was in the wrong. But I was upset because I was being attacked. And I think it's a very male characteristic that if you attack me verbally, or I, I, I think you're attacking me mm -hmm. verbally, I'm going to attack back. I don't, mm -hmm. I don't do the, you know, the thing that you probably do is take a deep breath, think about it, and then go forward. I just go, and, and, you know, and then I think, oh, shoot. That's my id. And then I've got to take a back step and, you know, it's one, one flurried group of words to spend the next, you know, whatever time trying to mock it down. So emails and text messages, those things, I put in a separate folder and wait. I used to write it down and put it in a drawer. <laughs> it's email. But that's, that's, that's it. It is, it, it is great because it stops you doing stupid things. But it is also a problem when it gets in your way of enjoying life, gets in your way of upsetting people, um, and uh, gets in your way of having an adventure. You've got to, mm -hmm. got to sort of go through the it at some stage. Mm -hmm. And I think in chronic pain, just getting back to chronic pain again, I'm not sure it's id, but it's certainly something that patients often say, I can't do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they won't attempt it. Oh, I, I, I can't, 
I can't walk anymore very far because I did that once I was in bed for 24 hours or 48 hours or a week or whatever. Well, how far did you walk? I'll walk about two miles. Well, maybe start off walking, you know, 20 yards, 30 yards. In other words, but yeah, it's the id, it's the memory. Anything that stops you as a memory is an id. And you've got to say, well, is that correct? Do I, you know, how do I go forward? How, how do I improve my lot? And if the id's stopping you, you've got to somehow or other, you know, change it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Or up. Yep. Yeah, I, I agree with you because I think you know, when you speak of it, I think of these are metaphors, of course, uh, but, you know, this sense of self, this identity, this person, the idea of person uh, that we create and we become fixated on it. Now, I don't, it's inescapable. As human beings, we're going to have to create, we have the mental capacity to create a sense of self and in order for you, we're relational beings. Uh, we've evolved in a community of other beings. That's how we got here. And in that evolutionary process, we've had to communicate with each other and to communicate with each other. We've, we, uh, gather a, a sense of self in our minds that this is who I am. And this is how I represent myself within this community. And I speak from that identity, from that sense of self. Um, that narrated sense of self that a lot of times that we're not even conscious of, you know, it's beneath the surface of our awareness. So that's important. And like you said, that's important. I don't think we're going to, we can escape it. And also in the relational field, in the field of relating with other human beings, we build a character, we build an identity that can help us be in a positive relationship with those in our community. So that's the good thing about it. And it's inescapable. And this, when it becomes problematic, it can be problematic because there's a shadow side to it. And that shadow side to it is we become fixated. We begin to think that that's all that we are. We're just our id. And we're willing to do any and everything to safeguard it. Our social status, uh, how we are related, how people should relate to us. Uh, how are we validated or not by others? This is when this sense of self becomes very problematic and it leads to just unnecessary suffering. Suffering already going to happen. This is inevitable. Challenges are always going to arise in our lives. But we fixate on something that is not, that, that's, that's, that's very superficial. It reduces us. Like you say, when a kid, a kid doesn't have, I don't have to say we're going to be like kids again. But there's a certain freedom that they have that we don't have any longer. And we subject ourselves to it. It limits us. If someone is undergoing pain, that sense of self can force one to over-exercise because they feel like, well, I, I should be able to walk two miles because that's just what I've done in the past. Versus, well, maybe I should just only walk 20 yards, 50 yards, 100 yards. No, 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 no. You, 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 you're supposed to be able to do two miles. So that sense of self is getting in the way again. Um, and we can see it politically. We can see how it's problematic in so many different ways. Uh, and I think you said something else that I think is really important is that we can create it. We can change it. 
Yep. That's one thing we can do. We can change this sense of self so that we can enhance our capacity to live a better life. Uh, and I think that's a big take home thing. I'm sure I'm, I'm not saying I'm sure I shouldn't say I'm sure I, I'll ask you this question. Did you, when you're working with people in pain, did you try to do Did you help people do that? Or did you see that that was uh, something that, um, help people get a better life, uh, changing their narrative of themselves or encouraging them to change their narrative about themselves? Yeah, I think, I mean, I was in yeah, treating patients with chronic pain, ooh, gosh, uh, 30, 20, 30 years. And what became very evident was the individual had to choose which area they were going to improve. One of the things I found very useful was something that the uh, lifestyle coaches, life coaches use, which is, I call it a, a life satisfaction wheel, mm. where you draw a circle, you divide it into eight parts, and each part you then label. So you'd label one part satisfaction with life, happiness. And each line would be out of 10. And you might say, okay, I'm at a five out of 10. Then it would be exercise. How am I exercise? Am I enjoying the exercise? Am I doing the exercise? Am I doing enough exercise? And you'd put another line. Maybe it's a three, maybe it's a six. And then there's sleep. And then there's nutrition. Relationships with loved ones. Relationship with friends. Um, and then you could do things like you know, medications. Are you happy with the medications you're taking? Or are they having side effects? Spiritual. Do you have passion? Do you have something you, you feel proud about doing? Uh, do you spend time relaxation? Meditation can be. So you have a choice within those eight things of what you want to think of. And you think of... You can do it this moment, over the last couple of days or whatever, but you put your sixes, your sevens, your eights, and then you look at it, and that's your life in a time capsule, if you like. You don't mm -hmm. need to share with anybody, or you could if you wanted to. But then you say, well, my relationship with my friend or my loved one is not good, and my exercise is not good. Maybe I can go for a walk with Jim, Hmm. and you know, we can chat, so I'll be able to extend both those. My sleep is not good. What can I do? Well, I've, I've looked online, and there's cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia, which is good. Yes, I could do that. I won't have a nightcap for alcohol because alcohol messes up with sleep, and then I have to get up and have a pee. I'm going to cut down my fluids in the afternoon. I'm not going to have coffee after two o'clock in the afternoon. All these things that you, you can read about and you say, okay, I'm, for a week, I'm just going to concentrate on sleep. And this is what I'm going to do. And then you have what's called SMART goals. Do you, have you heard, do you know SMART goals? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so the specific, measurable, uh, achievable 
reasonable and timely. I'm going to walk 100 yards three times a week. Um, and yes, it's doable. And we'll see how that goes. So you, you've made your goals. And then you can see how it does. And then you make another wheel one week, two weeks, whatever, and you see where you are. And the idea is to build out that wheel. But what was important to me was that the patient decided for themselves what to do. Yeah. We all know that, yeah, oh, we should be doing meditation. I should be doing yoga. Now, if I try yoga, I'm so stiff. Yeah, well, you just have to continue doing it. You've got to use this. You've got to... I, I don't particularly like yoga, so I'm not going to do it. You know, it, it's, you don't want to do something. It's useless for the doctor to say, I want you to, you know, walk 100 yards. I don't like walking, but I like dancing. You know, can I do dancing instead? Can I go and do my garden? Sure, as long as it, it's exercise. Do what you want to do. Do what your passion is. Um, and that's what I try and do myself. I occasionally do a wheel. And then I say, okay, what should I do now? And that to me is part of living life well, is just going back and saying, which part of it am I not doing particularly well in? And what can I do to change it? Mm -hmm. it's, life is a, just is ongoing. And as you get older, you know, things begin to fall apart a bit. Your sleep is not as good. You can't, I can't run. Yeah, it's, it's so you... you make allowances, but you still have a great life. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I love that how you are, you know, I think a lot of what you're saying is uh, being self-reflective and being honest with yourself. Correct. You know, looking at your life and using these tools that are available out there to say, okay, let me use this to take a look at my life and see where am I having issues and concerns and what can I do to change certain things to um, better my situation. Correct. And yeah, I think that, you know, I can see how that it, that sense of self can get in the way of that too, you know? And so we have to change that. We have to change our view of ourselves uh, and say that, well, it's possible for me to exercise a little bit more. Maybe it's not going to be walking or running, but maybe it's dancing, like you said. Okay, then I need to figure out a way to do that. Can I accept that in myself? Can I include that in my sense of self? That, you know, dancing as a part of my sense of self. For instance, you know, I, I find it interesting you say you don't like yoga. Uh, and I, th you, I think you're referring to yoga asana practice, the physical exercise of yoga. Correct, yeah. <clears throat> and, but one of the things that's important in terms of physical exercise is stretching. And why stretching is so important, uh, helping range of motion, et cetera. I'm sure you may be aware of some of the physical benefits of, of a stretching regime. But if you say yoga to some people, like, no, 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 I can't do any of that. And you're like, well, how about when you, after you do your exercise, do a little bit of stretching? And you're like, oh, okay, I don't like it, but I'll, I'll do a little bit of stretching uh, to help that, uh, uh, help my physical body, for instance. Um, and I think figuring out ways to, have a conversation with someone about uh, something that they that's a part of their story and their narrative. How do you find ways to, to, to slip into their things that can benefit them and or, or our, our, ourselves? How do I find something? Okay, this resonates with me. How do I find 
a way to do something that's good for me, but that also resonates with my personality, with my idea of myself. Well, I guess one can argue personality type is a little bit different than just identity. Personality type is a little bit more of what we came with, <laughs> our tendencies. One can argue that it's genetic or not, um, but these tendencies that we tend to have that uh, that are unique to all of us um, is a little bit different than I would think id, which is a little bit more of a, a narrative and a story about all of that. Uh, and I, th- I think they also in genetically and environmentally. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, how how we were brought up. But one of the things that I and and maybe it's just me, but and it didn't. I don't not sure it resonated at all patients. But if you actually write it down, mm-hmm. and a wheel is a simple way of doing it. And you're not going to show anybody. It's mm-hmm. not for your greater audience. And you can say, well, my exercise is, if I'm honest, my exercise is not great. If I'm honest, you know, yeah, I, I, I said the thing about yoga to get to see what, see how you responded to it, by the way. Um, <laughs> yeah, maybe I, I can improve that. And let's see how I can improve. <clears throat> so there's, there's one thing you don't say, I'm going to improve my sleep my exercise, my relationships, my spirituality, all in one go. You say, let me just concentrate small little steps. And you do Mm. small little steps, you do one thing. I'm going to do some yoga, I'm going to do some stretching. I saw that great YouTube. I'm going to just do that, you know, 10 minutes a day. Yeah. Yeah, I'll do it in the morning. I'll do it as a routine. So then you put that down as a goal. And a week later, you say, well, did I do it? And it's, and it's hard. People, you know, I don't have, you know, you say 10 minutes in 24 hours or, you know, maybe you're sleeping eight hours or whatever. No, you've got, you've got the latest Netflix to binge on or, mm-hmm. or whatever. So it's, you know, you're saying, okay, now I'm going to devote this time to myself. And the first week, maybe you only do it twice. And you look at it and say, oh, pff, Okay. Yeah, what's stopping me? All oh, right, I'm going to get up a little bit earlier to do a 10 minutes, or maybe I'll do five minutes. You know, so you make the, but all the time you're having that discussion with yourself, you have yeah. a discussion with your id. And your id is saying, no, I can't do that. I need my extra five minutes lying. I need to watch the end of that Netflix you know, series. It's only 11 episodes, for heaven's sakes. I can, I can do that. Um, and then I'll do my sleep next time. Yeah. So, it's, it's, it's very hard, just like some of your questions you asked before coming here. Um, you know, you, you've sent some letters, some, some questions, and I thought, that, those are hard. Those are self-reflective questions. Those are hitting the id right in the stomach. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, <clears throat> how do I handle it? And that's why initially my id said, you're not kicking me in the stomach. Yeah, we're not doing the interview. But it's important. It's important. I, for me, for my personality, is to write it down. Mm-hmm. I think for my wife, Louise, who you've interviewed, I don't think she'd write it down. She, she knows about it. She would take it in and internalize it without having to do writing. Mm-hmm. I need to sort of have a pen in hand, do a nice little picture, and then say, okay, how did I do? Did I score? Did I win? <laughs> yeah. Everything's a challenge. Yeah, we have to challenge ourselves. You know, I, I, 
I think when I said the body is a stress response mechanism, but the mind is too. You know, we have to exercise everything. I mean, exercise, I look at it as challenge. Excuse me. <clears throat> you know, in order for us to to grow, to expand, we have to challenge ourselves. Um, and, you know, the story we have, the stories that we carry, our, our personal philosophy needs to be challenged consistently. Uh because life is inevitably inevitably full of full of those challenges and so we're going to have to contend with those things and and we need to have something in our philosophy of life that can help us contend with those various challenges and and I guess a a, a question I have for you is so I know we, this is pain but I hope the audience can get get something from this cuz I think it's a, it's a unique thing that uh, that you working with people in chronic pain I think there's just so much to learn from that how, how do you how do I word this how do you get people to I mean these are my words find value in challenging their narrative about themselves and how do you get them to find value in their own well-being and saying, hey, if you do these things, these things can help you feel better. I would suspect, I mean, I see just in everybody, that it's really hard for people to do. Correct. To find value and enough value in themselves. They value themselves, but the story that they're telling about themselves is limiting them from really valuing themselves in a different way that's going to help them live better. How do, how do you even do that? <laughs> Again, there, there, there are, if you like, tricks of the trade. Um, mm -hmm. And motivational interviewing is, I yeah. think, one of the, the major things. So, yeah, if, if you're smoking, smoking is incredibly bad for, for pain, um, as well as for carcinogens and you know, brain, et, et cetera, et cetera. So... Everybody knows they should not be smoking by now. If not, <laughs> I don't know where you've been. And I'll say to the patient, "Okay, so, you know, do you want to do you want to stop smoking? You know, or do you think smoking is harmful for you?" If they said, "No, smoking is fine. I don't have any problems," then that's a non-starter. Uh, do you think having three bottles of Coke a day is harmful for you? Well, yeah, I think so, because I've put on weight. I just I can't stop drinking it. Okay, well, what would be a goal for next time I saw you? Would it be to drop down to two bottles, to drop down to one bottle? I think I could do one bottle, okay? How sure are you at a score out of 10? Oh, 10 out of 10? Never. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> five out of 10, okay. So what I'm hearing is a score of five out of 10, you think you could go down to one bottle of Coke next time I see you. And if they related to that, so they've chosen, they've chosen that part of nutrition or they've chosen going down on cigarettes or they've chosen to do exercise. Next time I saw them, it would be, well, did you succeed? Well, I'm now not drinking Coke at all. Oh, I not only did... You had 20 yards, I'm now doing 50 yards. Or uh, I didn't start. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, you have a choice. Yeah, they remember what I'd said. 
and say, yeah, I can be your coach, but I'm not going to, I don't have the same pain as you. I don't have the same problems as you in your social life, etc. Only you can deal with that. I can, I can suggest we can discuss what to do, but taking another pill is not going to help. In fact, your pills may be making you worse, as we've discussed. Uh, so, yeah, have another go. Yeah, let, let's go again. Sort of, you're on three, three things of Coke. How many do you think you can go down? I'll go down to one. Okay. Can you bring your spouse in with you next time, your significant other? Hmm. And then, yeah, that, that's always hard because they're coming in and say, oh, so you, you managed to go down to one Coke and you're watching out of your eye, the significant other going, mm. <laughs> And so you, you, but you're now getting somebody, and if the, if the spouse are just sitting there doing nothing or not there at all for no good reason, then you know the social support is poor. And if you have poor social support, that's also hard with chronic pain. You know, with chronic pain, people don't ask, hey, Broderick, how are you doing? Because I don't want to know about it. I'm tired of you talking about your back pain or your headaches or whatever it is. So I, I don't say hi and go off as opposed to having a conversation because you'll bring in your back pain at some stage. I'm tired of listening to it. And if you're living with somebody like that, then that's hard. So again, they've got to realize it and then they've got to, yeah, deal with that. It's dealing with an awful lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's hard to live life well when you have that damn clip on your, <laughs> on your mm-hmm. lip. Yeah. This is great because, yeah, I wasn't expecting that. I, I think it's just, this is really, um, this is really wonderful because it's such an analogy for a metaphor for all of us. Uh, we can, we all can do that, you know. That little clip in our mouth, it's, we all have it to an extent. We're, we're constantly in a state of, we're dissatisfied about something. There's always something that's going to happen. There's always a problem or issue with somebody or something that we wanted to accomplish and that we were not able to accomplish. Like you said in the beginning, you know, we're not going to get everything we want in life. Um, and I think we can, you know, this is what you've done with people with chronic pain. But can you say a little bit more how all of us can apply these things to our lives to make our lives better, even if we're not undergoing chronic physical pain and the various psychological uh, issues concerned with that? Can, how do you flip that into, uh, how do you generalize those things that you're, you've mentioned? Because there's a lot of it that's in that, that could help us live a better life. I think there's, to me, exercise is probably the most important thing. Movement, yeah, be it yoga, be it walking, cycling, dancing, um, parking at the other end of the car park and walking to the shops as opposed to driving around looking for the nearest parking place. Sleep, we're chronically deprived of sleep. We need to have seven, eight hours a night sleep, ideally, both for the, and that, that, that should be paramount whatever age we are. Mm-hmm. The, yeah, there, there's very good studies showing that various toxins that like amyloid build up in the brain mm-hmm. 
And when we're in non-REM sleep, they, they get washed out. So if you're having poor sleep, they ain't getting washed out, they're building up. And when you look at Alzheimer's patients, they've built up in areas which are affected by poor sleep. Yeah, so is it causality? Is it, you know, just happens? We, we don't know, but certainly sleep's important. If you, if you don't get good sleep, you feel rotten the next day, you don't cope very well, you, you know, your relationships, everything goes, goes to hell and handbasket, hand including exercise. So I'm always looking at my sleep, my exercise, my relationships. Yeah, living with Louise is, is in, amazing because she's always <laughs> saying, oh, yeah, whatever, you know, <laughs> life, life is you know, never quite that way. Sometimes it's that way, sometimes it's that way, but it's, you know, it's, yeah, but it's communication, which is, yeah, which is which is life, and yeah, having a loving family, um, and nutrition, uh, and yeah, there's certain things in life. I've read a lot about nutrition. I love my IPA. I love a beer, um, and you know, sometimes I'll have a little bit too much IPA, and then I suffer for a while, and I don't have any. Then it's yeah, then somebody comes around and I have an IPA or have a glass of wine type thing. And that's fine. Like having a, you know, an ice cream or having a, you know, sugar of, of some sort occasionally. It's not harmful. It's when you're having it all the time. Mm-hmm. And when you're having these ultra-processed foods, they are dreadful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, I try and... The trouble with, you know, ultra-processed foods is, you know, you can watch the telly or you can be on the computer, and before you know it, it's, hang on, where's it all gone? Mm-hmm. It's mindless eating. So trying to be more mindful eating, all these, all these little things. Am I good at doing them? Nah, I'm, I'm, I'm average. Maybe I'm a little bit above average because I think about it. But if we start doing those and start thinking about it, then I think we become more aware. Then we can start having our lifestyle. Yeah, do I meditate every day? No, I don't. Do I meditate frequently? Yes. Do I try and, you know, be mindful of things? Do I try and look around me when I walk? Do I sometimes walk without podcasts? Yes, I do. Oh, gosh, no noise coming in. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. I, can, I can see things. You know, instead of sort of doing my whatever mileage and then coming back and says, where did I go again? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> so it's... Yeah, we are so busy, we're so inundated with things. I think it's, it's, sometimes we just need to take it, just relax, you know, go to a dark room or just go to quiet and just think. Mm-hmm. Before going to bed, I like to just think about the day. You know, try not, difficult, try not to have computer on or something, you know, for the last hour before going to bed. Uh, again, that's a sleep thing. And yeah. Can everybody do it? Sure, they can. Is it free? Absolutely. Uh, is it difficult? Yeah, <laughs> Tootin is difficult. Yeah, it's very difficult. And just because it's difficult doesn't mean that we... we it's a challenge. Remember? It's a challenge. It's a challenge. Which is inevitable. And when you say free, I was like, oh, is it free? Uh, it may not be. I look at it as it's not free in terms of you have to give up something. If you're not going to eat those cheese doodles or whatever that 
that overly processed food is that you're consuming excessively, um, you have to give it up. <laughs> you have to let that go. You have to surrender that thing. And that is very, uh, very difficult, especially if it's, um, I, I, you know, I, I'll probably overuse this term, but when we have habits and they're like addictions because they're feeding that pleasure yeah. pathway in our brains. And it's like, well, it's like an addiction. It's going to be hard to give up that habit. Uh, you know, especially if you've been doing something for a long time, uh, it's going to be hard. It's like, it's like a grand Canyon in your, in your nervous system. It's so etched <laughs> and yeah. you're going to go out and try to change. Um, like a, with a garden hole, you're going to start digging a different trench. I'm like, that's going to take some time. It's going to take some effort and some energy to do that. And I think I find that that's a hard thing for a lot of us is that it looks so daunting. We're like, oh, I do want to feel better. But then, oh, man, I have to break my addictions. And that's challenging. That's yep. hard. Because um, it is feeding our pleasure pathway. Uh, it's like a drug. You know, we tend to think drugs are all exogenous. No, they're endogenous, meaning that so folks are exogenous, mean drugs taken from some external thing that you take and put in versus um, some chemical that has uh, that's generated from some action or some way of thinking uh, the, internally. Um, and that's a drug too, you know, and there's various things that we do in life that trigger certain internal drugs <laughs> yep. neurotransmitter chemicals to influence our nervous system in various ways and so it's hard it's hard being human it's not easy it is it's like somebody on you know under chronic pain we may not have chronic physical pain like someone who does <clears throat> have significant uh physical pain but we may have psychological spiritual pain of some sort or dissatisfaction and it, can, and it can be just as real as physical pain Exactly. And just as daunting, just as incapacitating. Exactly. One of the things before we go is to think about nutrition and how the gut makes an awful lot of neurotransmitters, mm. internal chemicals. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, we use antidepressants, uh, which are to do with often with serotonin. Mm -hmm. Most of our serotonin is produced in the gut mm. and then transfers up to the brain. There's something called brain-derived BNDF. Doesn't matter what it is, but it's when you exercise, this brain factor makes us feel good. Mm -hmm. It's also produced in the gut, taking mm -hmm. in the right foods. So, yeah, we are what we eat. I think mm -hmm. it's very, very valid to think about. Exactly. And if you don't feel good after a meal, it's because you ate too much, or maybe it was a too wrong sort of stuff. Exactly. Yeah, these things are so intertwined. So they you are. threw something in there earlier, and I want before we leave, I want to ask you about it. You said something about spirituality is is <clears throat> one of those things in the will yeah. that you encourage uh, patients and yourself that you evaluate. Can you say about a little bit more the importance of the importance of spirituality, or clarify what you mean by spirituality in terms of living a good life? Yeah, in my mind, I don't think a spirituality in form of a, a religion necessarily but some people may think of it as as you know they they have a religion which they're very involved with and that's spiritual um to me it's something that you want to um have a passion you want to have a purpose for doing things 
So if you have a purpose, it, 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 to me, that's a spirituality, if you like. Yeah. I want to do whatever it is because of whatever. I want to walk 100 yards. I want to sleep better, whatever it is. Yeah, I want to be a better person. I want to yeah, talk to my kids. I want to whatever. Um, and it's also, it, and, and yeah, this is my own feeling. To me, spirituality and feeling in the moment is part and parcel of the same thing. So I'm, uh, you know, if I'm in the moment, I feel my mind is open and I'm just taking things in. I can be in the woods, just stop, look around and take a breath in and say, yeah, this is good. I can be in town and do it. To me, that that's spiritual. Mm -hmm. Something that uh, gives you a feeling of, yeah, life is good. Yeah, I can, yeah, it's a heck with it. Yeah, you don't have the moment of anxiety. You don't have all these thoughts going in. Your mind is open and you're just taking in and you're saying, yeah, it's not bad. Mm -hmm. I could be here for a little while longer. Mm -hmm. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. It's like, um, I guess I can say a few words about that. Um, my interpretation of what you're saying. It's like the, there's a spaciousness, this ineffable spaciousness, like, you know, that you get when you're in nature, especially up there where you all are in the Northwest. It's a very special place, by the way. Um, to just be in a, to just stop and pause and just sit and be with everything in that mm -hmm. silence and that spaciousness of mind when we don't have all these conflicting ruminations taking up space. I know it happens momentarily, you know, in, in meditation training on various traditions. Um, we train ourselves to try to have more of that, more of those moments of spaciousness, of silence when things will calm down. And yeah, you're right. Spirituality points to that. Spirituality is a lot of things, but that's one that I uh, relate to when you say that, is that sense of spaciousness when our, when we can, ex we can quote unquote transcend, transcend our identity, just even if it's a flash moment where I don't have to deal or contend with myself inflicting wounds on my own self <laughs> through the dialogue yeah. Yeah. where I could just be like, oh, I had a moment of silence. And we spiritual exercises are to help facilitate that silence, that ineffable silence and spaciousness. And these are all words that we're pointing to. Uh, we're pointing to something that is ultimately indescribable. It's a, it's a feeling, it's a, it's a sense that we get that spirituality. And the um, id is not there. It's not there. You know, I, I again, I don't think we should live like kids. Again, we can't anyway. No. But that freedom and that spaciousness, it's wow. Yep. It's, just, <laughs> it's just amazing. That's the beautiful thing about being with them is that you can, you know, some people get irritated by kids. I'm like, 
quit projecting your own adult crazy mind self onto them and just be with that freedom. Yep. Just get a yep. taste of it. Yeah. It's wonderful <laughs> when it happens. Exactly. So this has been great, Gordon. Uh, I, I have a final thought, a question um, to ask of you. Is there anything you would like to leave the audience with? I know you've left a lot with us in this conversation. I know for me, there's a lot of, yeah, I can just tell by I'm very reflective with this conversation. It's been very practical. Um, and I want to know if you have any last things you would like to leave. It can be a suggestion. It can be a recommendation. It can be a thought for people, whatever you would like to leave for the audience before we close. I think one of the things with my reading, my uh, dealing with patients is that leading a good life or leading uh, the way we want to be should start very early on. It's never too late to start. But when you look at the atherosclerosis and heart mm -hmm. disease, when you look at uh, Alzheimer's, when you look at problems, these are years in the making. And you know, if we're unaware, well, I'm in my 20s, I'm in my 30s, yeah, I can eat what I like, I can smoke what I like, I don't need to ex. No, it's, it's really living the good life should be yeah, all the time ideally. Mm -hmm. Now, we, you go off the rails sometimes, uh, but, but even starting whenever you start, yeah, it's never too late, but you're never going to be able to get back there. And if you've had your first heart attack, yes, you can hopefully prevent a second one, but the first one's occurred. What you want to do is go back to your 30s and 40s and say, now I'm going to decrease the stress. I'm going to you know, try and eat healthily. I'm going to try and get enough sleep, enough exercise. I know how to do it. Yeah, because most people know how to do it. Certainly listening to this podcast will know how to do it. And there's YouTubes can tell you how to do it in, in, for hours and hours and hours. Uh, so just start and progress. And yeah, if you do that and it becomes a habit, so now you have those uh, neurochemicals from your gut and your brain, it's hard to stop doing it. You have a break sometimes, but then you get back to doing your, you know, your meditation, to doing your exercise, nutrition, whatever. And, it's, and you, feel, you don't feel good when you stop doing it because you have the physical as well as the endocrinological effects. So starting it and building up a regular routine, that's what I would suggest. Awesome. Awesome. Practice. Building habits. Yeah. Thank you so much, Gordon. This has it's been a, a great conversation. I, I've really appreciated it. Very um, thought-provoking. Again, like I said, I have so many things to reflect on, and it's been very uh, practical. So thank you for sharing the wisdom from your life experiences. And thank you for helping so many people in your life. <laughs> I'm glad I stopped the id from yeah, not coming on. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. All right. Thanks, until next time, my friend. Thank you so much for tuning into the show. I hope this conversation has inspired you to reflect on your own views of the good life. If you enjoyed the show and want to hear more inspiring and thought provoking conversations, please follow 
write a review, and rate us on your favorite podcast app. If you are tuning in on YouTube, please hit that like button and subscribe. Your support is very much appreciated.